Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. Today I'm speaking with John McCaskill-Smith, Chief Executive Officer, Pinnacle Ventures Limited, New Zealand. John has 20 years leading change in primary care. He took Pinnacle from a small team of 16 people in 2001 to the broader group of companies and innovations that it's so well known for. Passionate about bridging the gap between technology and outcome, he loves the challenge of improving outcomes by blending the best of what we do with what we could do. Very welcome to the show, John. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, Are you a medic? No, I'm not, actually. Look, I trained originally as a clinical social worker, uh, and I was involved in the deinstitutionalization of a couple of large um, mental institutions here in New Zealand. And look, it was, it was while I was working in that kind of environment that I started to get really frustrated with the decisions that the funders were making around resource allocation and system design. So I ended up, a job was advertised for the National uh, Health Funding Authority, and I ended up um, uh, taking on a role there. Now, my wife's a GP, and we'd been looking at buying a business, and I'd read read the National GP contract. And when I joined the Health Funding Authority, it was kind of a bit strange because I came on board and I started to realise that most of the people uh, in the organisation had never read the contract that they were using to manage general practice services. So I was in a unique situation where we were owning and running a practice, but also I understood how the contract, the impact that it had um, at the other end. And so there started my journey, which uh, since then I've kind of moved on, um, having joined Pinnacle about 14 years ago after being at the HFA. Talk a little bit about Pinnacle. What, what, what is Pinnacle? Yeah, look, Pinnacle's, Pinnacle has been around for about 34 years. So it's a, it's a GP network. It's owned and operated by GPs, and it's, it's not a government construct. So it's a construct that's come from a group of GPs in the late 80s who were concerned around becoming kind of professionally isolated once you left the hospital and stepped into private practice, understanding that a large portion of our geographical area is also regional or rural. So a lot of the, the guys were stepping into clinical practice, ending up in a, you know, a really busy GP practice, and often not having the time to connect with their colleagues very often. And they were concerned about that, and they were concerned about the, the level of variation that they were seeing creeping into their day-to-day practice. And so they formed initially quite an informal kind of group where they agreed on a small group of read codes that they were would consistently use to code um, interactions. And then um, through peer groups, both um, physical face-to-face peer groups and, um, you know, virtual peer groups, they started to, you know, share the insights that they started to see from more consistently coding information and looking at how, you know, their treatment um, responses to different things were varying. So... That was the growth of, um, or the initial birth of Pinnacle. And since then, it's kind of moved on. Um, We now have about 12% of the population of New Zealand enrolled with around about 92 practices, and we have about 450 GP members. And within the group, uh, we now have quite a stack of organisations. So while we have the parent company, Pinnacle Incorporated, we also have uh, Midland Health Network, which manages a, a, a a primary health 
organisation contract with the government, a PHO agreement. We have uh, Primary Healthcare Limited, which owns and operates practices. We're seeing a growing trend where GPs are exiting and the next generation's choosing not to step into small business ownership and they're seeking rather to be employed by a group. So we've got a cooperative of practices that we own and operate, plus other subsidiaries that, you know, have set up IT solutions or other clinical solutions. So yeah, it's become quite a complex ecosystem, but quite a powerful system in the sense that it's not government owned. It is owned and operated and governed by the GPs often in partnership with others, but, um, and, you know, as I said, it holds contracts with the government, but it's not a government construct. Okay. So from that perspective, you've got a very broad perspective on healthcare. What issues do you think are likely to become problematic in the years ahead? Where is Pinnacle looking into the future? Yeah. Look, a big thing for us, we employed a group of demographers about 10 years ago, took our We've got an enormous amount of data. So we've got, you know, 30 plus years worth of, you know, interaction data, clinical notes, uh, you know, hospital data. And so we took took the weight of disease burden and forecast that forward. We took the utilisation rates that we had for our uh, existing workforce and kind of projected those forward into the future to see what would happen. Like, um and what, what was really clear, so we did this in the, the period that we forecast was between 2014 and 2024. And what it showed us that by 2020, if we didn't change the model of care that we were using, quite simply, we were going to run out of the ability to provide the care that the population that we had um, or would have um, was going to require. So that, that drove us to look at a number of things. Look, changing workforce changing expectations, employment um, changes, and um, changes in the population in terms of people living longer and obviously with more complex kind of health needs. So all of those things kind of came together in a head, and we uh, have spent uh, all most of our resource since that point in time looking at different ways in which we could address that challenge. So you saw a car crash coming in the distance, yeah. 2014 to 2024, you could see that things were not going. What exactly was it that frightened you about that? Well, look, the biggest thing was we were going to be 1.4 million consults short. So we were just not going to have the workforce that would enable us to deliver that 1.4 million consults we were going to be required to deliver to the population that we had enrolled with us. And that left us feeling anxious that as a, as a large clinical network that's had a long-term commitment to the communities that we work in, we simply weren't going to be able to deliver the breadth uh, and quality of services that, you know, we had in the past. What 1.4 million consults short. Is that because people are getting older? Is it because of chronic disease? What is it? Yeah, it's a combination of things. So, um, you know, our own workforce. So, at that point in time, the average age of our GPs was um, 54. And so as we aged the workforce forward, we could see that we were going to start to experience, you know, large retirements. And when we looked at what was coming in the, the other end, we were not seeing people choosing to work um, the same number of hours. We were seeing a large feminization of the workforce. And, you know, we're now at the point. So in 2006, 77% of our GPs were owner-operators of the clinics within the network. In 2018, only 
my own operator. So we've seen a flip almost. So the bulk of our workforce are now sessional workers who do not essentially have skin in the game or do not own the clinics or have partial ownership of the clinic. So that's one. Two, as you mentioned, we were seeing an ageing population. And with that, we were seeing increased burden of chronic conditions. So increased demand for more complex care as the population aged. And the other thing that we've seen occur within New Zealand over that period of time as well, we had the Christchurch earthquake, which saw a large drift north, um, particularly of elderly populations from the south, um, who you know uh, were quite traumatised by those earthquakes. We saw a drift south of a lot of uh, workers in terms of the rebuild of Christchurch, but we saw a real shift in the aged population. The other thing in New Zealand is we've had a massive housing crisis, really, where we've seen the average price of a house in Auckland, you know, almost reach the peak uh, globally anywhere. So just shy of a million dollars is the average house price. And with that, we've seen a lot of people drift south out of Auckland into the regions that we cover uh, in the middle part of the North Island. So that also increased our population size. And largely, it was the um, early retirees who, uh, you know, were also entering into that that age period of increased utilisation. So workforce, increased, uh, uh, sorry, ageing population and increasing um, size of population were the main drivers. Yeah, the eye of a perfect storm, it sounds like. Yeah, well, that's how we describe it, the perfect storm, actually, yeah. So the eye of a perfect storm. So what is your response to that? So, you know, we, we looked... Globally, we, we said, well, we're not unique in this. You know, you know, if we look at where the baby boom post-World War II was occurring, we could see that, you know, it had taken the guys a period of time to get back to New Zealand. But if you look at the UK uh, and Canada and the States, we could see that they were slightly ahead. We looked to the NHS and we could see that they were already starting to experience the trauma of kind of running out of general practice. And we could, you know, massive wait times, two to three week wait times to get in for a, you know, single issue consult with a GP. We could see that Canada was experiencing um, uh, similar kinds of demands, although their geography, you know, means they've got larger urban areas and then also extreme rural areas. And then we could see that the way that things were funded in the States, there was a range of kind of responses that were kind of coming through. So we looked at all of those systems and we couldn't see a single solution. We could see pockets of innovation that could contribute to us responding to that. But what we did find in Seattle was some colleagues at what was then Group Health, which has now been um, consumed by Kaiser. They were starting on a journey Uh, with a population similar to ours, around half a million patients, with a mixture of rural and urban. And they were struggling with similar challenges of just not having the general practice workforce to staff. And, you know, they were running out of um, uh, or facing the same kind of demand challenges that we were. And they were just starting on their journey uh, around implementing the medical home, um, which is, you know, quite a large movement across the states. But they did it in a different kind of way. They've you know, colleagues in Seattle are Boeing and uh, Microsoft. And so they'd used a lot of the process engineers from the Boeing 737 factory to come in and help them process map patient flows through their health system. And so we looked at some of their early experiences and, and saw a real opportunity to kind of mimic some of those things, but also to, to tailor it more to the New Zealand kind of population. So 
we actually brought over a group of those process engineers from Boeing and we got them to work with large groups of our frontline kind of clinicians and we kind of rebuilt a model for the future that kind of took into account that we just weren't going to have the same kind of workforce, but we needed to be able to provide more consults. But it also took into account how we could use technology and we could use um, you know, different professionals as part of that core kind of team to deliver those. And for us, that's resulted in our uh, healthcare home model, which is now being adopted across New Zealand. Um, we've got just over a quarter of the population of New Zealand now being covered by that model. So providing more consults, using technology more, and other than, presumably other than general practitioners, providing the services. Yeah, a little bit more complex than that. So, look, you know, we took that patient flow and we said, you know, the traditional model of primary care is that it's a mini ED department in the community. So, you know, someone wakes up, you know, they don't feel well, they've got symptoms, they pick up the phone and typically they speak to the person in the clinic who's non-clinically trained uh, and lowest paid, who then allocates them the most scarce resource within the clinic, which is a face-to-face consult with, um, you know, one of the clinicians. So we disrupted that. And we said, well, actually, that's not the best way to do it. The evidence points to the more senior clinician you can get involved in that triage process, the more effective kind of outcome that you can kind of get. So what we do now is that if patients are seeking a same-day appointment, we get them to talk with um, their own doctor or another doctor within their clinic. And um, our data is now showing that somewhere between 35 and 50% of the time that can result in uh, the patient not needing to come in for that face-to-face appointment. So that might be you know, uh, reissuing of a script, it might be uh, other testing that needs to take place, or it might be assurance that can be provided through that kind of conversation or putting the appointment off to a later date. But our data is showing really clearly that it's it's safe, it's effective, and actually patients love it because despite the fact that the system often believes that patients really want to come in, if you actually sit down and talk to them, most patients will say, if I don't need to come in, that's great because it's really costly in terms of time, disruption, and um, you know co-payment costs as well. So we do things like that. So at the front end, we deal with uh, how you get in quite differently. We then have when you come into the system, we have very different measures. So one of the things we work really hard on is waiting time. If we've got patients waiting, we're wasting their time and we're wasting ours. So if you go into a lot of our healthcare home clinics, you'll find that we've almost eradicated the waiting room. So we've already had a conversation with you, so we know that you're coming in and we know why you're coming in. But we've also got the opportunity to kind of check in for other things that we could do while you're coming in. So we had to create a different workforce. So we introduced health centre assistants who would meet and greet patients and room them and then make sure that we had all the measurements and that we'd offered brief advice around smoking or whether there were any other things that sometimes get dropped in on the main kind of consult or we could deal with some outside of that. And then we also made sure that we had real clarity about all the issues that the patients might want to discuss because often there's navigation issues with the health system or other kinds of things that when we you know, worked our way through methodically what people come in for. It's not always just a clinical complaint. 
So that means by the time the clinician comes in, um, a lot of that stuff's been taken care of. And so there's more time to actually have a, a true clinical uh, kind of conversation between the clinician and the patient. And so look, our data is also showing that we're getting much better outcomes. We've seen a drop in the number of general referrals, which, you know, when we've sat down and worked through that with our clinicians, you know, there's an acceptance that often those referrals are made when people are rushed. They're not quite sure what the issue is. They know this further investigation is required, but we'll just flip it up as a general referral because I've run out of time. So with people with more time, we're finding there's higher levels of specific referrals. So people are um, provided with more time to do better workups. But we're also seeing that we're getting um, better um, patient satisfaction and a sense that there's more time for the clinician and the patient to have a conversation rather than the disruption of all the non-patient agenda items that the system might be throwing at, at the patient in terms of screening and other things. Okay. So really the key to this is to make sure that the initial triaging is done by a doctor, preferably the patient's own doctor, and then the, yep. the, the situation is managed or at least uh, some initial indication of whether an appointment's needed or, uh, or whether this can be managed in some other way. Is there a danger in this that in time what you're doing is making the system even more accessible? So the things that you would not normally telephone the doctor about, you think, well, I don't mean a phone call, I'll call the doctor about this. I know it's a runny nose, but in the old days I would have just taken a paracetamol but I now have the option to call the doctor. Are you not, therefore, in some way, fueling demand? Yeah, and look, that was one of the things that we were really anxious about and a lot of the clinicians were anxious about. But look, the other thing that we did to kind of help manage that was we also said it was really important that we provided patients, and this really came from the patients, with direct access to their own records. Because in actual fact, patients the majority of the time manage their own care and they bump into us as the health system, you know, one or two percent of the time if you're lucky. And if you've got real chronic or complex conditions, obviously it can be a bit higher. But what we did was we have shifted the majority of our population onto portals so they can access their own record. But they can also um, electronically communicate with their clinicians online. Now, the combination of both the triage and the online access, we've actually seen a reduction in demand, not an increase in demand, which is kind of counter to what you would expect and also counter to what some of the evidence has shown in other in the UK. There was a big study around introducing clinical triage and there was a sense that it delayed presentation so that, you know, patients might be put off a day or two, but they often came back with uh, a more acute need. What we've found with the combination of responses, um, we're not seeing that um, two or three day delay. We're seeing patients more satisfied and a sense that the issues are being addressed more effectively. Now, we have increased the total number of interactions that we have, but so we've taken the number of face-to-face -face consults that a, a GP might have from, say, 30 a day to 18. But with the capacity that we've created, we've introduced the phone triage and we've also introduced systematically the electronic uh, communication. So we break the day up so it's not just back-to-back face-to-face consultations. It's a bit of triage in the morning depending on demand in the various clinics and then spread throughout the day are the virtual sessions where there are either you know, email or phone conversations with patients which are a lot more deliberate than perhaps were happening in a bit of an ad hoc way. 
So in short, we haven't seen a creep in demand. We've seen us reorder our day so that we can do more. And in fact, the feedback from the clinicians consistently across the group is there's a sense that they've got back control of the day. They're not being double or triple booked in the way that they had been previously. They're not having to run into consultations unsure of, you know, what they're going to be greeted with because of the pre-work that's been done. And there's also that frustration often where you see a patient and really you've got to send them off for further diagnostics or testing before you can actually offer a solution. And we've kind of shortcutted or short-circuited that step by being able to talk to them first. We can often organise those tests prior to the patient coming in so we make better use of everybody's time. So as you'll know, we have our, our audience is global and mm. many people won't be familiar with the New Zealand healthcare system. Is there somewhere they can read uh, what you've just described and, and maybe explore a bit further with you? Yeah, sure. So the, the best one is to look at our Healthcare Home um, website, which is www.healthcarehome.co.nz, and that describes in depth our model of care, but also the change process that you know clinics need to undertake. Because you know shifting from a model that you've often inherited from the previous owners of the clinic or that the system has incentivized through funding arrangements or medical legal kind of woes is hard work, uh, you know, disrupting that. And also primary clinicians, you know, often not as lucky as some of their secondary colleagues where, you know, they don't have the same kind of protected time sometimes in which to stop and think and undertake the change because their business is quite cash-based and so they need that constant flow of patients flowing through in order to keep the business kind of working. So, you know, we've invested a lot of time and effort and resource into facilitating that change. So, yeah, if you have a look at that website, it sort of covers off all those elements. Just uh, being an Australian general practitioner, I wanted to ask you this question. Mm. Uh, 30 to 50% of people you speak to on the phone are not going to need to see a doctor. In Australia, you can't charge for that consultation. Yeah. Can you charge for that in New Zealand? Um, you can. And look, that's, you know, done quite a bit of work in um, Australia, helping um GP uh, practices and networks think about different kind of models and that's constantly the issue. When you've got a fee-for-service environment where you're claiming per transaction um, and there was a, uh, an advisory group that I was part of in Canberra where we said that, what, why, why wouldn't you open that up? And their response was, well, then everyone would be charging for a phone conversation. And I guess, you know, our response to that is, no, that doesn't happen. But B, in some cases, isn't that better use of the resource if it means that the people who really need the more complex care can come in and can get it? Because at the moment, you know, in both Australia and New Zealand, it's who's best on the phone will often get access to the clinician, not who's got the, you know, the biggest clinical need. Mm. So any last thoughts on your journey and and where you think this is all going to end in 2024 when you do your next review? <laughs> well, we've started that now. And I think, look, the next stage for us is we've kind of reorganized general practice a little bit, but that's phase one. Phase two is how do we now build localities and, you know, services that sit around and outside general practice that can actually take that a step further? You know, in New Zealand, often you actually can only access or win access to community-based publicly funded services after you've been hospitalised. You know, our vision is that those services are now available to keep you out of hospital by enabling more broader, sophisticated 
community-based teams, you know, to play the preventative game more effectively and to keep people well and healthy at home. So that's our next phase is building those localities. We're also moving into getting groups of practices to start working as an ecosystem as opposed to the competition that often exists between individual practices because they're they're funded to be individual businesses. And so we've now got some of our rural towns where the practices are starting to think as one you know, we've got one place where they're even thinking about moving all the acute care into one facility and moving the chronic care into one of the other facilities, which had you asked me five years ago, would that conversation be taking place? I would have said no bloody way. And it's now a real reality. So, you know, those are the exciting next phases. You know, is this ever going to finish? I don't think so. It's just, you know, how do we constantly, you know, get better and make things work faster? John McCaskill-Smith, it's been a great honour speaking with you. Fantastic to hear what, uh, what's what been happening on the other side of the pond, speaking as an Australian. Uh, I think we're watching you with great interest. Thank you very much. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com.